Hey, you're listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about the church, including upcoming service times in both our Cincinnati, Ohio, and Florence, Kentucky locations, visit us online at sevenhillschurch.tv. We hope this message helps you win the day. Acts chapter 19, let's look at verse look at verse 13. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. The seven sons of Sceva, who was a Jewish high priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? The man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them, and gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Pretty awesome story, isn't it? (laughs) Let's look at Mark chapter 9 and verse 20. So the disciples brought this young boy who was demon-possessed to Jesus. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. My God. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has it been like this? And the father answered from childhood. It has often thrown him in the fire or water, trying to kill him. If you can do anything, please help us. I love this first part. Jesus says, if you can, right? That's red. And if you got your Bible, that's in red. Jesus is like, if, if I can, <laughs> if, do you know who you're talking to? If I can, I just love his confidence. Everything is possible to the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene. He rebuked the impure, impure spirit, saying, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And of course, the evil spirit left the boy. Now, I want to talk to you about the tale of two fathers, the tale of two fathers. Each one of these stories has so many similarities, but the difference is in one, you find the presence of a father and the other, you find that the father is absent. Speaking of the absence of fathers in our world, it is a modern day nightmare. The statistics surrounding the fatherless epidemic are staggering. It's without question, a modern day travesty. You could go through poverty, emotional and behavioral issues, crime, teen pregnancy, child health care issues, incarcerations, child abuse, drug and alcohol abuse. You could keep going through all the different issues that our nation, our world is being plagued with. And the father factor is at the center of nearly every one of those issues. The fatherless America or the father issue is the most destructive trend of our generation. One study concluded the father deficit should be treated as a public health issue. Now, maybe you're here and you're a single mom and 
immediately the enemy's starting to guilt trip you over this. Let's remember that we have a father who is in heaven that knows how to fill in those gaps. And let's just even just be more honest. The only thing worse than the father being absent is the father being there and being a terrible role model. So it's okay. You'll be fine. There's spiritual fathers where there's not natural fathers, but let's, let's get back to talking to dads for a minute. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. So hell's lies enter through the paternal door. Hell's lies enter through the father door. People wake up believing that they're a disappointment to their earthly father and Satan uses that door to deceive many into believing that my heavenly father must be harder to please than my earthly father. And if I can't please my earthly father, if I can't convince my earthly father to hang out, or I can't convince my er earthly father to, to, um, be present, how could I ever think that something about me would be deserving of my heavenly father being present? And if you ask mo most people, they think that they think I'm probably a disappointment to God. When they think about God, they think of he's probably up there shrugging his shoulders, rolling his eyes. You know, he's, he's looking down at me. What a disappointment I am. What, uh, what a letdown I have been in my life. And what begins as a cultural issue in our homes ends up having spiritual consequences. And when we look at the world, many of them are out there screaming, I think at the church, wondering where are the fathers at and why are they absent in our time of need? Well, the first story we looked at, the first tale of a father is in Acts 19, specifically speaking of the seven sons of Sceva. Sceva is a Jewish chief priest, a religious leader, and the father of seven sons. And these seven sons are out following the example of people like Paul, the apostle, the other apostles, and even Jesus. And they're trying to cast evil spirits out of people that were in their, their worlds. And so they said in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches come out of the man that they were dealing with. And the, the demon responds to them and says, uh, Jesus, we know, and Paul, we know, but who are you? Which is the, one of the first ways the enemy tries to target us as he targets us in the area of our identity. Not sure who we are yet, especially in God. And so he says, who are you? Which is what Satan did with Jesus, right? In the wilderness. If you are, if you really are the son of God, right? If you are always trying to bring a question mark concerning who we are in God. Of course, Jesus knew that the father was well pleased. He had just, he had just had the moment with God where God had said, this is my son and who I'm well pleased. And so Jesus was sure of who he was, but these seven sons had an identity issue. And so the Bible says that that spirit ended up jumping them, overpowering them, beating them, and they ran out naked and bloody, which is a picture of total and complete, utter defeat. Now, we don't know where the father, Sceva, was. We don't know uh, why he's missing during the spiritual crisis. Maybe as a religious leader, he's busy with church life. Maybe he's so caught up trying to take care of everybody else's needs. He's 
unable to meet the needs of his family. He's neglecting the needs of of those who are closest to him. Maybe it had nothing to do with the father. Maybe the sons refused to listen. Maybe they just took on a rebellious spirit and the father did everything he could for his boys, but his boys just ran off doing their own own thing. We don't know exactly who is at fault, but we do know that the father is absent in the story. We know his sons begin to play God games. They begin to try to be religious showmen. And the problem is that they had to discover the hard way that the devil isn't playing games, right? The devil isn't just playing God games with us. We have to know in our own families that the devil's not playing games. He's not playing games with you. And he's definitely not playing games when it comes to our kids, our sons and our daughters. He's He's very serious about his desire to destroy them and wreck their lives and ruin their futures in any way he possibly can. And so here we learn a few things that happen in the father's absence. Number one, we discover that the sons didn't understand when they were on enemy territory. The Bible says that they were out looking around And specifically, they entered the house where there was an evil spirit. So they didn't take the time to consider what kind of environment they were entering. What kind of atmosphere were they entering? What what kind of spirit was in charge of the home? When you start looking in life, searching in life, searching for relationships, searching for connection, searching for purpose. You always got to kind of ask yourself that question. You know, when I'm entering an environment, what spirit is in charge of that environment? What spirit is in charge of, of that home? What, what attitude, what mindset, what behaviors, what, 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 what kind of uh, uh, life is, is the people that I'm connecting to? What, 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 what kind of spirit is in charge of their life? And because these sons did not consider the territory that they were entering, or you could say it like this, they didn't understand that, that God does give us control over our proximity to evil things. He, he doesn't necessarily give us control over everything, but he does give us control over our proximity or say it like this. The closer you get to the serpent, the more vulnerable you are. The serpent is dangerous, but not, not as dangerous if you keep your distance from him. It's when you draw close to the serpent, seeing how close you can get to the serpent. And then all of a sudden the Bible says in this story in the house, in close proximity to the evil spirit, they became vulnerable. It's not that they were weak. It's that they were not wise. They didn't know how to say right now. I'm in the enemy's territory right now. I'm in an environment. I'm in an atmosphere where the spirit that's here, the, the, the atmosphere that I'm in, I'm in as somebody that's trying to follow the Jesus that Paul's following. Th- this is not the kind of environment I should be drawn to. This is not, not the kind of atmosphere I should be attracted to. And so the enemy jumps on them. The word jumps means springs on like a serpent strikes. Notice they get in the proximity of that spirit and it jumps on them. It springs on them. 
The Bible says in Hebrews 12 and verse 15 that it's the poisonous root of bitterness that just springs up. Just living your life, doing your thing, going about your day like you have every other day. And before you know it, just out of nowhere, seemingly bitterness springs up. Anxiety springs up. You're thinking to yourself, why is today any different than yesterday? I'm kind of dealing with similar things, but all of a sudden worry just springs up. Anger just kind of jumps up on you. Hostility just comes on you. Offense, unforgiveness, they all have a way of springing on you. You you didn't plan for them to be there. You didn't desire for them to be part of your day, but they spring on you. And the Bible says that this spirit strikes them, that it springs on them. It's a poisonous strike. It's a venomous strike. The Bible says that in Hebrews 12 and verse 15, that you have to be careful of that root of bitterness, lest you fall short of the grace of God. It's not that you can stop the strike, but you can control territory. If I'm, if I'm in that proximity of the enemy, I'm vulnerable to the strike. It's what the Bible says calls a transgression. So God's given me boundaries. He's assigned boundaries He's put his lines, the Bible says, in pleasant places. And every now and then I just start messing with the line. I start messing with the boundary that he's given me. Jesus said it like this. When you pray, what do he say? God, forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. Trespass is crossing a boundary. It's, it's removing an ancient landmark It's God puts the fence up and says, I want you on this side of the fence. And it's not just to keep you in the fence it's to keep things out that don't need to be in it. And he gives you the boundary. And in this story, you find that these seven sons didn't understand proximity. They didn't understand the boundary was in their hands. And it's the same way with us. If you refuse to create boundaries, you're more vulnerable to the strike of the enemy. You're more vulnerable to the enemy jumping on you with whatever spirit he wants to, with, with the worry, the anxiety, the fear, the bitterness. But if you'll control the boundaries, I'm in, I'm in control. If, if I, if I feel a wrong attitude, if I feel a wrong mindset, if I feel a wrong, all that stuff is in my, I got to be careful. That's not the kind of territory I want to live in. Cause if I get my life, just living in that territory before I know it, the enemy's going to jump on me. The second thing these seven sons had to learn in the absence of a father is that brother problems become demon problems. See, a lot of us don't have demon problems, but we do have brother problems or sister problems for all the ladies out there today. Just running with people that have the same weakness as you running with people that have the same blind spot as you blindly the blind What's the Bible say you end up in a ditch every time. And so we have to take a second in the story and say, there is a brotherhood problem. It's not one brother that wants to go in the house and, and, and the, and there's one saying, no, I don't think that's a wise idea. It's not like half of them want to, and half of them don't No, All seven of them are entering the same house, the same environment, the same atmosphere, and they're dealing with the same exact spirit. So you have to have the ability to say, I'm your brother up until the point that you start embracing a wrong spirit. 
I have to consider my closeness to you. And I know you're not going to like this very much and that's okay. I'm a youth pastor. So this is a big part of what we do, right? And now you know what, guess what? Y'all are 70. I'm still teaching you. You can't hang out with wrong people. You can't, you can't, I can't either. You say, well, you're a preacher where you find wrong people at other preachers. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's a surprise to me too, but there's some messed up ones out there. They want to be your friend and everything. You don't want to be their friend. I'm their brother, but when they embrace a wrong spirit, closeness has got to be considered or closeness has got to be reconsidered. What am I saying? My commitment to God has got to be greater than my loyalty to others. Let me say it like this. Cause some of you still aren't, aren't with me. I, and I don't, I don't expect you to be, I don't expect you to be just hang on. Is loyalty to my brothers or sisters important? Absolutely. But pleasing God is most important. Jesus said it like this, who is my mother or brother, except those who do the will of my father. You know who he said that to his mother and brothers who is my mother or brother. He was saying my brothers have to have more than history with me. I have to have more than a mindless loyalty to people. I need to live my life with a desire to do the will of God. And I can let nothing nor nobody get in between me and that. I love you, but I love him more. I, I, I hope the best for you, but in the end I answer to him. I don't answer to you. You don't answer to me. You answer to him. You don't answer to the people sitting in your row. You answer to him. First Corinthians three and verse 10, by the grace of God, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation. What's a foundation. It's the first thing, right? It's the first thing that you put inside of any building project is you make sure that the foundation is there. Why? Because you're a wise master builder and someone else will build on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. What's it saying? If you're going to build your life in a wise way, if you're going to build your family, if you're going to build your future in a wise way, you can do it in an unwise way. But if you want to be a wise master builder, then you have to realize that the foundation is first. And there is no other foundation that has is laid other than the one which has already been laid, which the Bible says is Jesus Christ. It's saying he's got to be the foundation. He's got to be first because you can mess a lot of things up in a building project, right? You can miss the mess the frame up. Maybe you can miss, mess the roof up. Maybe you can mess the little window frames up. I, you can tell I'm not much of a builder. You know, maybe your little electrical can get thrown off or maybe the heating ducts can be misplaced here and there. And you probably go back in just thinking and fix it. But if you mess up the foundation, 
If you, if you mess, if it's flawed, then everything you build is at risk. And so the Bible says you have to build as a wise builder and you have to build with care and you cannot lay any other foundation other than one that's already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. The point is Paul is saying that God is first. God is number one in the life of every believer. It's not, it's not family first. It's not friends first. It's not even me first. It's God first. That's my foundation. But in this story, these seven brothers got it mixed up. Brother first. Loyalty to others is first. And it messed them up spiritually. And that's how the enemy works. What begins with a surprise strike ends up overpowering them is what the scriptures there said, controls them, dominates them. They can't shake it. They have no power. They have no say. They are totally overpowered. And the Bible teaches us that there are people that are chained up and they end up in remote regions or isolated. Mark five would be probably the most famous story where this happens. The demoniac is in the region of Gadaria and he's so overpowered that night and day he's hanging out in the midst of the tombs of the dead, crying out and cutting himself. No one could help him. The Bible says no one could bind him. He was dominated completely by the enemy. And this is how the enemy works in your life. It begins by you just kind of getting into the wrong territory, hanging out with the wrong people. And then boom, it surprises you. Then it overpowers you. And before you know it, you're isolated. Before you know it, you're bound and you're chained. It started as a strike. It started as something that springed up in you, in your heart. But now all of a sudden you're chained to it. You're chained to the bitterness. You're chained to the regret. You're chained to the insecurity. You're chained to the anger. You're chained to the hostility. You're chained to the addiction. Just, just, you just thought you're hanging out with your boys, hanging out with your girls, just going here, going there, not giving much thought to it, but you were stepping into environments where the enemy was poised to strike you. And when he struck, when he struck your life, you didn't understand that, that eventually his goal was to completely overpower you and dominate you. What I think about is this. That if just one of the brothers would have said, Hey, listen, I love you guys, but I'm not going there. I'm for you. We're brothers, but I'm not going there. I'm not entering that environment. I'm considering the, the boundaries in my life. Then you would have had a brother that wasn't chained up, overpowered by the enemy. So he could have gone into the aftermath of his brother's life and try to help them get free. But because it was all seven, how can I help you with your chains if I'm still struggling with my own chains? So it's not disloyalty to say, Hey, listen, I got to work on me a little bit. I got to take care of me a little bit. And until I get free, I can't help you get free until I overcome. I can't help you overcome until I get the help I need. I can't help you get the help you need. And sometimes you just have to say, Hey, listen, you're my brother, but I can tell that there's just a wrong spirit about that. And I'm not entering that territory with you. Number three thing we learn here is that the devil got a new wardrobe. He gave them such a beating. The Bible says he stripped them of their clothes 
they ran out naked and bleeding. This would be the first streakers in the new Testament, (laughs) totally defeated, stripped of their covering their clothes. The absence of the father was the absence of a covering. And once the devil got their spiritual covering, he beat them to the point that they ran out naked, bleeding. Notice for the devil to succeed, there was the absence of a godly father and there was the absence of godly brothers. The seven sons end up completely defeated because of the absence of a godly father and the absence of a godly brother. So the second tale of a father we want to look at is very similar because the devil is attacking this young man as well in such a way that he is throwing this young boy in the fire and the water trying to kill him. So in a similar way, the, it's not just that the enemy is present in both stories. The desire to completely destroy is also at the forefront of both stories. But the Bible says in the tale of the second story, the father is not absent, but the, the father is present. And Jesus shows up and he wants to know how long has your child been like this? And the father says, since he was a child, what's he saying? He's saying, Jesus, I I've had to stand with my son for a long time. I, I've, I've had to, I've had to make a decision to not give up on him and to not quit on him. And without the heart of this father to stick in there with his son, when he's in this destructive life, when he's being dominated and controlled by the enemy, the son has no chance of surviving. However, I think it's interesting that the other part of the story that you see is not just is the father present, but the father knows he can't do it alone. And so he goes out and reaches out to some disciples, reaches out to some brothers. And he says, Hey, as a father, I know that my presence is needed, but I also know I need some disciples presence in my son's life as well. This is where as fathers, as mothers, we have to recognize that there is an important role that disciples play or the church plays in the raising of our family. This is not a church plug. You go at it however you want, but I can promise you this. If at the lunch table, you bash the youth pastor, you can't be confused why your kids don't want to show up at youth group. Okay. If you're bashing spiritual things at home, you can't wonder why your kids disrespect it too. Don't be mad at me. I'm just saying you are present. I appreciate that, but don't make the mistake of not including the disciples and including those that God is called to be a part of helping you at times when you just can't do it on your own. Because some would say in this story that the fathers and the disciples failed, but the Bible says that they brought this boy to Jesus. They speaking of the disciples. So the disciples were a bridge. They didn't give up. 
on the boy and the father didn't give up on the boy. And by the way, the father didn't give up on the disciples and the disciples didn't give up on the father and Jesus didn't give up on any of them. So the father's trying to help the boy. It's not working. The disciples are trying to help the boy. It's not working. But the disciples don't sit back and say, well, if you had been a good dad, I wouldn't have to be dealing with this. And, and, and the dad's not saying, well, if you're really anointed as, as a, I don't know, children's pastor, my kid wouldn't be that way. No one's given up on anyone. And this is the point. You have the presence of a godly father and the presence of godly brothers. And they're fighting together for the freedom of the son that's dealing with a destructive demonic issue. And because they joined forces, they got this boy into the presence of Jesus. And notice what Jesus says. He says to them, everything is possible to the one who believes. I don't know what your home life is like, what your marriage is like, what your kids are like, what your relationship with them is like. But what I know is if this morning we can get you in the presence of Jesus, no matter what the wound is, the pain is, no matter what the struggle is, no matter how hopeless it looks, if we can get you in the presence of Jesus, the words that you will hear in your spirit ringing true about your family, like this father heard about his son is all things are possible to him that will just believe you might be like this man who said, help me in my unbelief. I believe, but help me when I don't believe you might be there, but nonetheless, if you can just get in the presence of God, you know what you're going to hear from him. I know it looks terrible. I know it looks hopeless. I know it looks, looks like there's no possible way it'll ever change. It's been like this for a long time and it may be like this for a little bit longer, but all things are possible to them that will just believe God can heal any home. God can heal any family. God can heal any marriage. God can heal any son or daughter. God can heal your parents. God can and all things are possible to them that will just believe. The father cared, the disciples carried, and Jesus cured. We need all three. We need the father. We need each other, the church. And of course, we need to trust that if we'll work together, Jesus will deliver and heal and cure Hebrews chapter 10, I'm closing. The Bible says in verse five through seven that God gave Jesus a body or flesh for him to do God's will. So it's helping us see the very reason that Jesus left heaven was to accomplish a very specific thing in the earth. It's why he was given a body. It's why he was given flesh. He had something to accomplish. The Bible calls it his passion. 
that there was something that, that God had called him to that was his passion. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you read that he's saying, God, please take this cup from me. And most scholars would agree that that word cup there is implying what he was sent to accomplish, that drinking the cup represented drinking our judgment, drinking our sin, taking on our sin. And for a brief moment, he says, take this cup from me. For a brief moment, you see Jesus, even on the cross, feeling what he maybe in an unexpected way begins to experience a disconnection from his father because of our sin, because of our judgment, taking that on, there was a disconnection that happened, right? He cried out, my father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me for a moment? He was disconnected from his father. And in that moment, he said, take, take the cup, take the cup. I don't want to do, I don't want to be disconnected from my father. I don't want to be disconnected from him. And this is the point when we, when life happens, when, when the enemy really hits our life and we begin to feel a disconnection from God, then we begin to disconnect from the things he calls us to be passionate about our homes, our marriages, our kids. And I get it. I'm a man too. I know what it's like just to shut down. I know what it's like you just, you done talking, but the Bible says that he holds us in the palm of his hand and nothing will snatch us out of it. The, the hand implies his will. It's a picture of his of God's passion. Nothing can take us out of the will and the passion that he has for us. And when you look at these two stories, just take a minute and look at it. It's not just a beautiful story of the importance of fatherhood and the natural, but it reminds us of our father in heaven. Does it not? It reminds us that we're not responsible for the choices our kids make. You're not in control of the choices your kids make at some point. Say amen. The devil wants to tell you you're responsible, but you're not. They'll blame you for it. But at the end of the day, They'll make their own choices. He holds you responsible and accountable for your choice. And the choice that we have is to be present or be absent. Now you, they, the court might have them. Somebody else has custody. I'm not implying that they might live somewhere else miles away. And the situation is complicated. It might be that the, the ex has turned them against you. Okay. 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 We're not, we're not talking about that, which is not in your control. I, my parents were, uh, divorced at a young age and we lived four hours from my dad. And I can still remember we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have internet. You know, the only way you could call was the landline, but y'all know if you called, right, it costs like a million dollars. Y'all remember that? Anybody else remember that? Like the, you remember like cell, real cell phone bills, like we're at 800 bucks, like cell phone bill. Cause you know, you had a long distance, I don't know, something. Oh, something, something you felt like you had to talk to on the phone. So you don't, you know, you just don't talk like we talk now. It's not, it's not, it's, you don't text. There was none, there was none of that. But once a month, he, my dad paid child support. He came down, spent a couple days with us. We didn't understand. We didn't understand why he was absent, why he wasn't there. But looking back now, I can say to you for the arrangement that he was handed, 
He was very present. Are you with me? And for the arrangement you've been handed, I'm going to challenge you to be present. I'm going to challenge you to not, because it's not all you wanted it to be, to let it be nothing. Right? That you have, that it's, it's because it's not the way you dreamed it would be, you've flipped the switch and you've just shut it all off. No. It's not what you desired for it to be. But at some level, you could ask yourself the real hard question Am I present? Am I present? As much as I am able to, this is why. Because what you see is this kid is throwing himself in the fire. The, the enemy is throwing him in the water, trying to kill him. One life threatening situation after another, but the father is present. And this reminds me of how present God is with us, right? That, that he also doesn't take responsibility for the choices we make. Does he? The end, when you face him, he'll hold you accountable for the choices you make. And you'll be like, but God, I was born like this, but God, I was raised like this, but God, they said this, but God, you don't know this went wrong, but God, I didn't understand this happened in life. No, 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 no. Whatever you were handed, you were also given the power of choice on the other side of that. And you will be responsible for that. And you say, well, that's hard. That's hard. But let's remember he holds himself responsible to his choice as well. And his choice was to be present not absent. He was present when you were controlled by the wrong spirit. He was present when you were in your sin. He was present when you were living that crazy life. He was present when you were in that wrong relationship. He was present when you were in that rebellion. He was present when you were far off. He made a decision to be present. And he's forever present in your time of need. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you because he's made the choice. I'm going to be present for you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to quit on you. I'm not going to throw in the towel on you. That's, that's not who I am. I'm your heavenly father. And if you feel disconnected from him today, it's not him that disconnected. He's present. But if you'll connect back to him, you know what you'll see happen? The passion will come back. It might be a tough cup you have to drink, but the passion will come back to say, not my will, but thine be done. Help me be the dad I need to be. Help me be the wife I need to be. Come on, I'm just going out of Father's Day now. We're just going to put that behind. Help me be the man I need to be, the woman I need to be. Help us be the family we need to be. Come on, he's present. He's not absent. He's not giving up. He's, he's with us. And you might be out there saying, Jesus, if you can do something, he's like, if I can, all things are possible to them that will just believe. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to experience daily content, messages, and inspiration, go ahead and sign up for Daily Bread with PM by visiting sevenhillschurch.tv slash dbpm. Thanks for listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast.